Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 257, Eye of the Beholder. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meetings, and seeing whether it stands the test of time. This week, Eye of the Beholder, the one where many things happen. Or do they? I've got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail... We would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And with that, we go to trivia. Or do we? I have the beholder, Ken. It's the one where Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and uh, Dr. McCoy get trapped by giant uh, snail-like aliens and put into a zoo. You remember that one, right? <laughs> oh, remember, they were all so animated. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we did that one. Bam! We did that one a little while ago, so we're not doing that one again. But yeah, interesting to come across two episodes that have the same name. Now, this version of Eye of the Beholder was written by Brandon Braga. He actually contributed the story for it because, of course, uh, let's see, uh, it's creepy, check. Uh, it's dark, check. You have the dream state, check. Hey, um, hey, spoilers. Hey, oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> Am yeah. I a little out of line there? Yeah. Well, I'm just saying we haven't done the recap yet. So maybe people are like, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> Maybe there's something of animated Kirk. Um, the teleplay for this episode is by Rene Echeverria. And uh, most recently, uh, the last script of his that we covered was Lower Decks. So not that long ago. And this episode was directed by Cliff Bull. And most recently for us, he directed Liaisons. And he will be back for one more before wrapping it up with TNG. And we will catch up with him at Deep Space Nine again, where he has been contributing as a director since their first season. Hey, Ken, how about that uh, Nacelle control room set? How about that? Yeah. How about it? It's a good looking set. Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, for a uh, for a new, pretty expansive thing, of course, a lot of uh, uh, mat work being done, so you can extend the set virtually. Um, uh, that you know, for a show late in its run, that's mm -hmm. a pretty uh, pretty impressive uh, piece of architecture they got there. So, and and as far as I know, the first time we've actually been in the in the nacelle of a ship. Really, I think so. I think so. We've been in engineering many, many times, but engineering is not where the nacelles are. I thought, though, what was the one where they were doing the Baryon sweep? Oh, a disaster. Was it disaster? Oh, you mean disaster! <laughs> okay, maybe, but was it, was it disaster? 
Oh, maybe that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe they, they were. Where they were doing the Barry and Sweep. No, they, that wasn't the one because Picard didn't have the kids with him. But anyway, oh, I, I yeah. want to say that we actually saw the Barry and Sweep because it went, you know, from the back half of the ship to the front half of the ship, which is why it ends in 10 forward with them almost getting wiped out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So I'm thinking we might have seen them one time before, but yeah. I didn't realize you were going to do this in trivia. So, you know, I, I didn't check it. So hey, fair enough. Never mind. Fair enough. But, you know I, what? I, hey, you know what we'll do? We'll pretend like that never happened. <laughs> <laughs> We're good at that. We're good at that. <laughs> um, now, there is a lot of fun stuff written in the Elkar screens that we see throughout this episode. You know, the, the, there are many shots of Deanna pulling up uh, crew records with the people who worked at uh, Utopia Planitia. Lots of details. Some of my favorites. Uh, Lieutenant Ziff lived on Omicron SETI 3, which hmm. means that they definitely have contained that spore problem. Or have they? Uh, see, I, I thought I thought you'd come back with that. <laughs> um, uh, Pierce served aboard the USS Chicago. Uh, there are a lot of ship names in there, but that was one that jumped out at me, having uh, having lived there at one time. And uh, his parents were Anita R. And get this, Ambrose W. Pierce, not to be confused with Ambrose Bierce. Of course. Oh, uh-huh. oh, oh, how droll. <laughs> right. <laughs> Some guest stars to mention this week. Quan is played by Tim Lunibus. Uh, Tim worked uh, a lot as a TV guest star in the 90s. In addition to this episode, he appeared on Beverly Hills 90210, uh, Santa Barbara, Saved by the Bell, The New Class. Uh, he took a few years off, though, to focus on his family, and then he came back to showbiz, appearing in a handful of series and short films. He also provided a voice for the game Star Trek Away Team. We have Joanna McClory. She plays Maddie Calloway. Joanna lived partly in Japan and actually worked consistently there as an actor in film, TV, and commercials. She has just a handful of professional credits in the U.S. as an actor, this next-gen episode being the second of those. And she does work frequently, though, on stage and in commercials. Nancy Harewood plays Nara, some interesting Trek and sci-fi crossovers in her acting career. She did appear on T.J. Hooker, and she was in the short-lived TV version of Westworld, Mm. No, no, not what you're thinking. No. Not the HBO <laughs> version with Anthony Hopkins. Nancy was in the 1980 TV series Beyond Westworld, hmm. which only made it to five episodes. Well, well, to be fair, only three of those were ever aired. Um, All right, wait, but hold still, on. Uh, you would actually know this. Was yeah? Future World, which was a sequel to Westworld. Yes, was it a made-for-TV movie, or was it a made-for-the-movies movie? It was a made-for-the-movies movie. Really? A, a legit movie, although it does not feel like it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was thinking back on it, and I'm like, that has to have been made-for-TV. In fact, because my next question was going to be, was it just you know, like a compilation of some of this Beyond Westworld stuff that you're suddenly springing on me? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Most people don't know about this show. They only aired three and uh, right. it, it is distinctly lacking Peter Fonda and Blythe Danner, um, who were in the movie Future oh, World. Oh, that's right. Uh-huh. That's right. They were. Okay. Yeah, and he had a little yes, cameo. He had a little cameo by Yul Brenner as a gul- yeah. uh, gunslinger. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that movie came out uh, very shortly after the original Westworld. And we were all, uh, of course, I, I was too young, but, but after having seen the original Westworld, I... I I was like, oh, you mean they made more? 
And then I rented Future World, and I was like, yeah, I wow, I'm done. I'll just go watch Westworld again. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> they made more? And the answer is no. No, they made something else. Sadly. Yeah. yeah. But, but here's the thing. Even though Beyond Westworld, they only made five episodes, um, and three were only aired, that show got two Emmy nominations. Wow. Yeah, right? And it's kind of funny, if you read the, the trivia about that show, It uh, they were in the process, I think they're shooting out of order, so if I'm not mistaken, they were in the process of shooting their fourth episode when they got the word that they'd been canceled, so they just had a rap party right, right there on set <laughs> as they were finishing that episode. Um, yeah. Oh. But uh, but this is uh, Nancy Harewood's only Star Trek appearance. But but you can actually go back and get Beyond Westworld on DVD, which I, I think I might have to do now. And finally, Pierce is played by Mark Rolston. And wow, uh, Mark is one of those constantly working, very prolific actors. He got his start in theater and left the U.S. to study in London and after working in theater for a number of years, the TV and film credits just started to stack up. He's done voice work in a number of places. He shows up prominently in Saw 5 and 6. He played Gus Grissom in the series From the Earth to the Moon. He's in Aliens, The Departed, and The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, the recurring roles on TV just don't stop either. Keep an eye out for him in Trek as well. He will be back on Enterprise for two spots in that show. <laughs> You may be wondering whether there was a B-plot in this episode. There was. But it was so incidental, it did not come up in today's discussion. Not once. Prologue. Batman angles. Red alert. Danger. Someone's locked out the control injector controls. Worf and Riker are on the way to the nacelle tube. If things don't get handled, engineering may have to jettison the core. Well, there's your trouble. It seems Lieutenant Daniel Kwan is thinking of throwing himself into the plasma stream. And Riker's like, Lieutenant Dan! Lieutenant Dan! It's me, Riker! Remember? But Dan doesn't seem to remember. He doesn't even seem to see Riker. I didn't want to do it, says Dan. But I saw them. And they laughed at me. I know what I have to do. And with that, Lieutenant Kwan jumps into the plasma stream, taking his own life. Act 1. No one has any idea what happened to Lieutenant Dan. He seemed happy with his work, fulfilled. He was a good officer with a fine career ahead of him. Amazingly, Picard says he's never had to notify a family that one of his crew has taken their own life. Killed by a tar pit? Sure. Killed by an android? Oh, yeah. Beamed into the cold vacuum of space? Of course. But suicide? I really don't want to call his people and not be able to explain this. Troy, Worf, you're on it. Find out why this guy died. As it does, someone taking their own life gets people thinking about their own mortality. <laughs> I'm kidding. Only the android seems to be thinking about his mortality. Data says he thought about killing himself once. Sort of. He was having a hard time learning, so he thought about wiping his memory and doing a clean install. In the end, he decided not to do it great story. In Quan's quarters, Troy and Worf find everything normal. They'd expected to see signs of internal struggle or something, but everything seems fine. Here we learn that Quan was half human, half Napian. 
Napians are empathic, so he may have been a bit of an empath himself. Troy is going to have to talk to Ensign Calloway as well. She and Quan were dating. The last entry in his personal log seemed almost chipper. After a few long shifts, he was looking forward to spending time with Calloway. Didn't sound suicidal. Calloway's got nothing, by the way. There was something about Dan's supervisor, Lieutenant Nara. Dan thought Nara was threatened by him, but it wasn't serious. Still, Calloway says something must have happened. Dan wasn't the kind of guy who'd off himself. In the nacelle tube, Troy talks with Lieutenant Nara about Dan. Like everyone else, she didn't see this coming. Left alone to look around, Counselor Troy goes to the bulkhead near the plasma tube where Quan jumped and gets a serious case of the heebie-jeebies. Not just she knows somebody died there. This is much bigger than that. Act 2. Being examined, Troy says she was getting some serious dark empathic vibes. Fear, anger, panic. But there was nobody there. Riker wonders whether Quan's own empathic abilities might have left some sort of psychic residue sensed by Troy. What she wants to do is go back in again, though Beverly thinks that that would be dangerous right now. Let's let your telepathic abilities cool off a bit. Then you can go take another look. And take Worf with you. Speaking of, the security chief stops by the counselor's quarters later to see what she's learned of Quan. The answer is... Nothing. He was fine. Until he wasn't. After a chat about psychic memories and furniture and other things that might not be real, Worf makes a sort of awkward exit. His next stop, Ten Ford, where he bumps into Commander Riker. And he's all... I kind of want to ask you something, but I'm not going to ask you, so goodbye. Yeah, remember that time Worf wanted to date Troy? It seems he finally remembers that as well. But he's not ready to talk it over with Riker just yet. Next day, Troy and Worf are back in the nacelle tube. Troy asks Worf to open the door blocking the plasma stream where Quan killed himself. She doesn't know what she's looking for exactly, but she needs to see. It'll only be safe for a short time... The computer begins a 90-second countdown as the door opens, and Act 5. And now Troy knows. There was a sort of residual trace of the murder left in the nacelle tube. It overcame Quan and nearly overcame Troy. Had Worf not been there, she'd have ended it all. The end. Wait, uh, hang on, you're not going to do the middle part? Do I have to? I think you should. Okay, but I'm skimping. Uh, where was I? Um, okay. Next day, and Troy and Worf are back in the nacelle tube. Troy asks Worf to open up the door blocking the plasma stream where Quan killed himself. She doesn't know what she's looking for exactly, but she needs to see. It'll only be safe for a short time. The computer begins a 90-second countdown as the door opens, and Troy sees a woman screaming, fearfully. She sees some menacing guy. Turning around, what she does not see is Worf. Instead, this nacelle tube appears to be under construction at Utopia Planitia, the shipyard where the Enterprise was built. Act 3. Yep, definitely a ship in the making. Troy hears noise from behind a door. Investigating, she sees them. A man and a woman, kissing. And they laugh at her. Running from the scene, Troy bumps into... Oh! Bumps into Worf. She's back to now. Not whenever that was. 
Talking it over with senior staff, everyone seems to have decided that Troy was seeing something that happened to Quan through Quan's eyes. He actually worked on the Enterprise during construction at Utopia Planitia. Now, she'll start scouring the shipyard's crew manifest for the faces of the others in her vision, including that menacing guy, the one who seemed to be staring at her in the most peculiar way. He did seem familiar. Troy wants to go in again, again, and now Beverly has a plan. She'll make a drug that will inhibit Troy's telepathic abilities. That way, she can look around without being overwhelmed. Looking through the records... Hey, there's the menacing guy, and he's here on the Enterprise. Lieutenant Walter Pierce. He came aboard about six months ago. He's in engineering. Worf and Troy go to talk to him, and... Yeah, he's creepy. But he says he remembers nothing about he and Quan and their time on the under-construction Enterprise. Troy doesn't believe him, but he sticks to his story. Here's the thing, though. Out of earshot, she tells Worf that she's not sure he was lying... She couldn't read anything off of him, which makes her think he was hiding something. Though he should not be, he might be partially telepathic. They're discussing this on the way to Troy's quarters, where, on the verge of another awkward goodbye, the counselor and the security chief start making out instead. Act 4. Worf is totally making a sleeping Troy breakfast, which means he has been there all night, which means they totally did it. Troy got the full Klingon. Breakfast will have to wait, though. Duties call. They're both called the sick bay, though they show up separately, as if they haven't totally just done it. Which they totally just did. Troy's a bit distracted, though. Worf seems to be paying a lot of attention to Quan's sweetie, Calloway. Injected with the telepathic inhibitor, Troy goes back to the scene of Quan's suicide, but she's still getting flashes again. The screaming woman, the menacing Lieutenant Pierce, and through it all, she manages to lead Geordi and Data to a human skeleton hidden in the plasma conduit's wall. Back in sickbay, Crusher will either inhibit Deanna's visions or wear out her hypo-trying. Calloway comes in with the bones from the plasma conduit. Worf can't stop staring at Calloway, and Troy can't stop staring at Worf, staring at Calloway. Calloway finds a match for the bones, and you'll never guess who, the screaming woman from Troy's visions, reported missing from Utopia Planitia eight years ago when the Enterprise was being built. But hang on, that was six months before Quan got to Utopia Planitia. Whatever Troy's been seeing, it wasn't through Quan's eyes. Seeing her own reflection in a control panel, okay, that kind of mirrors the view she had of Pierce. She's been seeing through his eyes, which means he killed the screaming woman. Worf thinks it's time to have another talk with Pierce. Believe it or not, though, Troy has got something else on her mind. Does Worf regret what happened last night? He says, of course not. And she sort of talks herself out of any misgivings. She'll go relax, and he'll go talk to Pierce alone. Back in her quarters, um, hi, Pierce. He shows up soon after she gets there, and as is his way, he is menacing. Act 5. Troy calls for security, though Pierce is confused. He says Worf said Troy wanted to see him. Security comes to cart Pierce away, then Troy goes to find Worf. In Ensign Calloway's quarters. Using her security override, Deanna barges in and sees Worf and Calloway kissing. And they laugh at her. Troy yells for them to stop, then grabs a phaser and kills Worf. 
Running from Calloway's quarters, Troy collides with the menacing Lieutenant Pierce. You know what you have to do. And she does know. Troy has to end it all. She flees to the nacelle tube. She stands at the plasma force field. I know what I have to do. She starts to step forward, but at the last second, she is grabbed by Worf. According to the computer, only 20 seconds have passed since Act 2, when Worf first opened the plasma door for Troy. Relieved to see Worf alive? Eh, time to explain what the heck just happened. It turns out Pierce was partially telepathic. Records show that he and the screaming woman and the guy that she was making out with were killed in an accidental plasma discharge, but Troy doesn't think so. She thinks things went down the way she saw them. Pierce killed the other two, then took his own life. While there are no bones to be found in the plasma tube, there is organic residue right where the skeleton was in Troy's experience. And now, Troy knows. There was a sort of residual trace of the murder left in the nacelle tube. It overcame Quan and nearly overcame Troy. Had Worf not been there, she'd have ended it all. The end. You did it! I did it. You did it. I did yeah. it. I, I, I did yeah. it twice. I think maybe <laughs> you did. You I, did. I don't know. Hey, uh, there are many cushy jobs on the Enterprise. I'm going to say that working in an nacelle on a starship seems like terrible, terrible duty. Um, those people—they are so separated from the rest of the crew. So separated, in fact, that none of us even know who they are. That's <laughs> that's true. Well, it's Nara. And it's, uh, well, pour one out for Lieutenant Dan, of course. Mm -hmm. but, Lieutenant uh, Dan, yeah, good. Lots, lots of yeah. people there. Um, I mean, it's literally, it's been six and a half years. Yeah, that's <laughs> we, true. It, it suddenly, oh, there are people there? Oh, okay. Yeah, you would think that would be automated somehow. Like, maybe there could be some exocomps or something doing oh, that. Oh, good Because they must have enlisted in Starfleet by now, I would think. Yes. Unless they gain sentience just to what? Lay around and watch TV? I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, I will say uh, this for working in the nacelle. It's got mm -hmm. to be one of the most dangerous jobs on the ship. Um, oh, sure. Because, you know, when, when Riker is trying to talk uh, Lieutenant Dan away yeah. from the force field, um, uh, uh, Nara says, I'm afraid if we try to get any closer, he'll jump through the force field. I'm making that the crappiest and least effective force field ever. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm, I'm not even certain what the point of that thing is. It's like, well, it will make a neat effect if somebody goes through it. Yeah. Okay, well, go ahead and put it in. Yeah, the only thing separating you from that massive plasma, that, that, that explosion of plasma, is a force field that will not actually separate you from that plasma. <laughs> Is a very permeable force field. Yes. Yeah. I guess maybe the, maybe the thinking is if you're caught in the plasma, whatever, you won't be able to come back in. Oh, good. Yeah, that, that's really what <laughs> that, it's all about. Yeah. I really don't understand why that was there. Uh, that said, that was a fantastic effect. Yes. When, when, uh, when uh, Lieutenant Kwan actually jumped into the plasma stream, mm -hmm. it was, it was uh, I mean, I hate to say it was beautiful because it was a guy taking his life. But it was just, I mean, it was so well done. Yeah. And just, I mean, really, I mean, drives home, um, well, the tenuousness of existence, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's nothing left of him at that point. Yeah. It's just, you know, there's that decision. And then I mean, once that decision is taken, it's done. Yeah. And I think that's probably giving a lot more credit to that shot than it deserves. But it was beautiful. I, I agree fully with you. Um the other thing that I would like to mention uh, on a less serious note is that the uh, 10 forward waiter uniforms are very prominent in this episode but they're so prominent that it made me want to know where is ben yeah 
Can we just yeah. had him? Can we please have him back? <laughs> yeah. Nope. Yeah. No, it'll be somebody else going, hey, Will. Next time Riker comes <laughs> right. in. Yeah. Riker in his green, open-chested, wrap-around kind of shirt there that he's got. Calling back a tiny bit to uh, to one James T. Kirk, mm-hmm. but... Uh, mm-hmm. Not totally. Nope. What was up with... Well, anyway, whatever. We can talk about his date some other time. Calling back a little more to uh, to Angel One. Mm, that's true. Yeah, except there was no uh, there was no wardrobe malfunction on this one. No, no. But, but what about his date? Or do you want to come back to his date? Nah, I just... I, I'm, I'm weirded out by the fact that she was, like, looking at both <laughs> Riker <laughs> and Worf and nodding. That mm, was the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was, like, she was watching, but she was also, like, sort of bobbing her head a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the kind of thing you might not notice if you get to only watch. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I'll say get to. If you get to only watch it one time, yeah, then you might not notice that. But like two or three times, I'm like, what's she nodding about? Is she like, (sighs) whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Change the subject. We can uh, exceed the warp speed limit again. Yeah, I know, right? That that Mm -hmm. almost never happens. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. Not since. uh, Yeah. Last time. Mm-hmm. And next time, I guess. I wondered actually, and it's interesting to me that you say so. Um, remind me, it was was it was it Renee or was it Brennan who wrote the screenplay for Lower Decks? I believe that was Renee. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because I was wondering if the uh, callback to crew evaluations six weeks ago was a callback to Lower Decks, or just an acknowledgement that crew evaluations seem to be sort of perpetual busy work for Troy and Riker. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm really yeah. wondering because I thought like, oh wow, look at that! They're putting it in the they're putting it in like in context. And then I was like, except that Riker and Troy were like, didn't we just do this? Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if it's you know which one that was. No, was... I, I choose to think though that it was a callback to the recent episode. Yeah. Well, it was his script, so why why not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good point. That good point. Um, one thing that we learn in this, and I think it's been kind of an ongoing thread for much of Star Trek, at least for much of Next Generation, personal logs mm-hmm. in the future seem, I'm just going to say, a little dry. Just a little <laughs> dry. Like, we go look at his personal logs, but it's like this perfectly framed, perfectly lit, very by rote kind of report. Maybe because they know that people will be digging through their personal logs at some point. Yeah. This is one of those rare cases where I'm hoping that all of social media survives into the 24th century. So it looks like people are having fun. <laughs> even even if it's a total lie, because social media is a lie. But that just please, let's just live the lie. I, I don't really understand why they bother calling them personal logs if just anybody can read them. Well, anybody can read them. Although uh, Picard did have to give permission to do it. Did he? Yeah, he did okay. at, at this uh, at this time. Um, I, I did not remember but, that, but okay. But he should have said, like, literally all you're going to get is every day, because that was the full log for the day. It's like, <laughs> I worked yesterday. I'm going to see Callaway later. I get to see my girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> What did you think was going on with the, because I joked in the uh, recap, and we will come back to this, mm-hmm. but I joked in the recap, the only one person who really seems to be sort of considering their own mortality is the one who's not technically like, you know, uh, blood, sweat, and tears living. Yeah. I know it's been deemed that, yes, okay, Data's alive, but, you know, um, he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have a heart. Um, or all the things that sort of make you like a living thing by biology standards. Yeah. Uh, during that conversation, why does he mirror Jordy's body language? 
it's an interesting choice, and I couldn't tell if it was like in the script or if it was an actor choice or what that was. But it was so it was so awkward that when I went back and watched it, you know, a couple more times, and I'm like, okay, well, he's doing that on purpose. Yeah. So why? It's the kind of thing that probably would not be scripted. Okay. Although I, I could be wrong for this particular uh, uh, episode, but but yeah, that's the type of thing that would be director business to give to the actors, or the actors might suggest it, and the director would kind of shape it. Um, but I, I I loved that moment. I really did because I kept thinking for all the times over the last six and a half years that data has just. Well, no, yeah, six and a half years that uh, the data has exhibited human behavior mm-hmm. without any sort of explanation. And uh, I remember the one time that he he's got his foot up on the, I believe he's at the 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 con, and he's just sort of leaning over and he's taking this kind of Rikerish pose almost. And we're like, where did he pick that up? Yeah. <laughs> How in the world? It just seemed out of place. But this was a really subtle smart way to show him learning human behavior and trying to take human behavior without making a thing out of it. Because otherwise it would be a whole scene where, you know, Jordy walks into Data's quarters and, you know, Data's like, you know, mixing a martini. He's like, what are you doing? Well, I've learned that humans like to mix cocktails. And it would be a whole thing. Right. You know, but but this just felt like a natural, subtle way to do it. So I, I really dug it. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I'm yeah. not. I mean, I'm. I'm not saying anything bad about it. It was just. A, it was mm-hmm. a weird. Uh, it was a weird thing. It was an interesting thing, especially coming in that particular conversation. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. Right. But like I said, we'll talk about that conversation. I think again in a bit. Yeah. Um, speaking of weird, interesting, good acting moments, mm-hmm. uh, the scene between Riker and Worf and Ten Ford is just fantastic. Mm. I mean, there's like a, and and like a lot of times it feels like, especially in season seven, they've been playing Worf for like laugh out loud funny. Yeah. Which a lot of times doesn't work. I mean, there was one episode where that's pretty much all he was there for. Yeah. And you know, you know, I mean, Michael Dorn can sell it. But still, it's like, okay, he's the big, gruff security dude who's also a Klingon. Should I be turning to him for the laughs? Mm. But that, that that conversation between them is like, are you asking me about someone? Is there someone I shouldn't be asking about? <laughs> <laughs> it was very, it was a well, it was a well played, it was a well played scene. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of character moments, little, little acting moments, uh, the one that they gave the creepy vibe to was Nara. And I thought mm. they did a good job of that, making her creepy in that attempt to throw us off about what's really going on and who's really to blame. You know, yeah. um, it, this is one of those episodes that if you've watched it two or three times and you know what's happening, then you're just sort of marking time until you get to the end. But the first time you see it, and and for me, it had been the first time in a very long time since I'd seen this episode, I, I honestly didn't remember. And, and they sort of... It's like a big neon sign above Nara that says, suspect her, <laughs> you know? That's true. Yeah. At the same time, I did feel like that I, I felt like maybe Nara and uh, Troy did need to go to uh, HR mm. or for or like for some sort of sensitivity training because <laughs> every time Troy sees Nara, she gasps. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, I will grant yeah, you it's because yeah. she's not expecting her and she turns around and there she is. And I didn't see you. You were behind the thing, whatever. But seriously, at some point, isn't Nara going to go, all right, you know what? That's getting offensive. <laughs> well, it, look, no, I, I go back to my <laughs> original premise that they are all shocked to learn that there are people up in the nacelle control room. Okay. That's it. All right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. so. Maybe that is it. Yeah. Um, 
worst line <laughs> of the episode, and yet mm-hmm. a great line. I love it, and I think it may be like my favorite dark humor mm-hmm. line ever. Something terrible must have happened to him, counselor, because it's not like Dan to take his own life. Oh God! All right, get. get oh, you know it's 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 really not no. like anybody to take their own life. I mean, because it's really, and I'm sorry, it, this is gallows humor. I understand that. Um, it's really the kind of thing you can only do once. It's not, you know, to say yeah. it's not like that guy to do that. Now, maybe Morass. Well, Morass maybe could have done it because, you know, mm, cats, mm-hmm. nine, nine lives. lives. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's like, you know. She purrs. Right, she, she killed herself. Well, that's like her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's, mm-hmm. she's like that because she's got nine and uh, she doesn't believe in conservation. Rene had to have been aware of that when he wrote it. I, ju- I just feel like it because it's too odd of a line. It's, it's a ridiculous line. Yeah, <laughs> it's it a ridiculous thing to say, hmm. but you know, okay. Hey, uh, Worf says that he too has sought visions in fire. We saw that when he met the Kalos clone. Oh, is that what we he was saw, talking about? Yes, yeah. we saw that just front and center, right that, there. That is the same. Uh, that's the same conversation where he says there are many things that we do not understand, and yet they are real. I don't like it whenever Star Trek tries to do <laughs> I just, that. I, I hate lines like that. I am not an empath, but I felt like in her head, Troy was saying, I can't believe I wanted to date you. <laughs> yes, yes. Except, of course, exactly. maybe she did want to date him, but we will get to it. There's a lot of stuff that we'll get to in a bit, Troy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, look, there's a technical thing that I'm sure that many of our listeners have thought of when they were watching this episode, because I know I thought of it. So was it really that easy to hide a body in the walls of a starship for that long? For that long. Well, I mean, again, it didn't actually happen. So, yes. Okay, so... But, but, also, but also bear in mind, uh, the, the ship was still under construction at the time. It was. It was. Yeah. But, uh, it just, so, I think, it's, I think it's probably easier when you can just easily pop off part of the wall and when there's not, you know, plasma flying <laughs> through the conduit yeah. that you're hiding them in. I, in fact, that's probably the safest place on the ship to hide it, now that you think about it, because how often do you get to go in there? Not often. It's full of plasma. True. True, but but look, you, you had the the sweep in in Starship mm-hmm. Mine. You had yes. you know, all, all this stuff, but I I do you know going back to uh, talking about sort of Brandon Braga's take on uh, on a script on the themes that he likes. I thought of Edgar Allan Poe's uh, The Cask of Amontillado. You know that, that yes, you, you know that story. Uh, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. I do. For the love of God, Montresor. Right. Yes, yes. yes. For the love of God. Uh-huh. Right, right. So kind of a cool, like, gothic horror callback by, by having that to be a thing in this story. Yeah, cool yeah. gothic horror callback. Mm-hmm. I, one of those words doesn't belong in there. No, you're sure? I'm, I'm not sure. sure which. I think maybe one of those. Okay. By the way, thank you very much, Starship Mine. Way to leave me hanging like 20 minutes ago when we were talking about, I was like, was it disaster? It wasn't disaster. Was it disaster? It's Starship Mine, which you actually have here in the notes, and yet just, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just leave me hanging. That's great, pal. That's okay. Three three hundred people already tweeted to you about it. <laughs> so. That is very true. That is very true. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with the website or the the uh, Twitter uh, account? You had one job. Oh yeah! Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. For people who don't know it, it's absolutely fantastic. Basically, it's just photographs of people who have done something completely wrong. So, like, you know, like a rail will be put up across a stairway instead of going down a stairway, for example, mm-hmm. or it'll be attached in like some ridiculous way. Uh, you had one job. And and I thought about that in this episode because 
we should remember they were not sent out to solve a murder. They were sent out to find something that Picard could tell Quan's folks. Mm. And and what they found is <laughs> now there's okay. So let me understand. So what I should tell his parents is somebody killed themselves in there eight years ago, and that's why their son killed himself. Yes, you had one job. <laughs> Not to belabor the point, but seriously, what actual purpose did that force field serve? I think there's something a little bit problematic about the discussion we're about to get into with this episode. Okay. Because it feels like there are a number of threads, and I... Well, the three major ones that I picked out, um, but I'm not satisfied that all of those threads are really explored. Mm -hmm. So um, we might as well start with the one that that I thought, again, having not seen this episode in so long, going back and watching it, when it started, I thought, wow, this is the next generation looking at suicide. Mm -hmm. That's pretty heavy stuff. I'm anxious to see where this goes. So... We do have this thread at the beginning about suicide, and uh, we we mentioned before, you know, Data kind of grappling with this. I find it difficult to understand why someone would terminate their own existence. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you pointed out, here's Data really the only one who's contemplating it. Right. We have Picard saying, well, that's never happened before. (laughs) Not not, not on one of his ships. Not on his watch. That's right. Yeah. 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 But 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 then that's it. Um, yeah. So I thought it was just strange that I I know we're sort of moving along to get to the the other part of this, which is the next thread, which is the the murder mystery, the 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 jealousy, the crime of passion. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt like they kind of well dropped a ball here about suicide. And um, do you think really? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I don't want to make light of the discussion between Data and Jordy, but I also do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll tell you why I don't want to, because I know that a lot of people take Star Trek very seriously. And so even with that, like, momentary treatment of the, of the, of the situation, I feel certain that there are people out there uh, for whom that conversation might have actually been enough, or that conversation might have been enough to make them maybe think just a tiny bit differently, right? I mean, Data saying, I chose to look at the difficulties I was facing as challenges to overcome and chances to learn or, you know, words to that effect. I'm willing to bet that there was somebody out there whose life was was actually changed, if not saved, by that simple exchange. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it feels just insanely simplistic. Um, It reminded me of the drug conversation that um, Tasha Yar had with Wesley in season one. Oh, sure. Do you remember? Yeah. Where we were like yeah. halfway through the episode. It's like a, an after school special or like the end of a G.I. Joe episode or something like that. Mm-hmm. And even that conversation may have actually been enough to keep somebody on the straight and narrow. Who knows? Because people do put a lot of importance on Star Trek. People do actually go to Star Trek. Some people do go to Star Trek to figure out how they should live. And, you know, so it's possible that even just that lip service to it was enough. And there may even be kids who said no to drugs in the 80s simply because Nancy Reagan said, just say no. I don't know. What I wish is that it hadn't been the android 
to discuss it and that he wasn't the only one, you know, thinking seriously about mortality. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I wish it hadn't ended up being another bleeping ghost story. Yes. Thank you. In the thank end. you. Yeah. There's a, there were two things that I kept coming back to the uh, episode of uh, and spoiler, by the way, Buffy, the vampire slayer has been off the air for a number of years now. So I'm going to say something that is actually a pivotal moment in the series. And if you're thinking you're going to watch it in the next little while, I give you five seconds. <laughs> How was your day, John? Oh, it was great. Good, good, nice good. Yeah. All right, that should okay. be enough time. Um, when Buffy's mom drops dead of an aneurysm, there is a there's a, the rest of that episode, and for a few episodes after that, things happen, and they're all happening in Buffy's head. Like you know, she'll come in, and it turns out, oh, uh, they were able to save her mom after all, or you know, she should have seen the signs coming, and she didn't see it, or whatever. I mean, there is it is a beautiful it is a beautiful treatment of the of the senselessness of unexpected loss. Um, House is another one. Um, you didn't ask me, John. I'm giving people five seconds here in case you think go back and watch <laughs> House at some point. Uh, you didn't ask me, but I'll tell you, my day wasn't bad. I had a little work to okay. do. Good. You yeah. know, so I, I did that work. I've got a lot more work to do when we're done here. So mm-hmm. that's probably about five seconds. Yep. Cal Penn's character kills himself in House. And House <laughs> like wants to do an autopsy. There must be a reason. There has to be a reason. And it's finally one of the other characters in the end that's like, yeah, you know, you know what's really bothering you? You didn't see this coming. There was absolutely no reason for it. Yeah. And honestly, that's not necessarily the kind of thing that we turn to Star Trek for. But if you're going to start that way, I feel like you actually need to go that way. Because what we got was the last 30 seconds of an episode of G.I. Joe saying, and remember, kids, teenage suicide, don't do it. Which is more Heathers than G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just it felt like. Yeah, well, look, it there, there, felt like a missed the, opportunity. Yeah, there, there's the reaction at the beginning when when Riker is visibly upset. He didn't get to save this guy, and, right? And and this was a shocking moment. I thought, wow, we this is some heavy territory here right. for the show. And then by the time you bring in Calloway, and right. and she's being asked about her relationship with Quan, and. Look, I, I know that we've had episodes before where we've dealt with death and, and we, we've had that discussion about Gene Roddenberry's position that, well, in the future, death is just part of life. And even a kid isn't going to be really upset by the loss of a parent because look at all these other wonderful people to take care of him. Right. And I, there there seemed to be no registering of, look, we, we, we don't need a, a heavy melodramatic moment, but... I expect to see somebody break down mm. when when they're presented with this news, and 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 even in a professional environment, being asked about uh, Calloway's being asked about a relationship and about his state of mind and all of this stuff. Yeah, the one way that I might be able to defend how ill prepared everyone was to talk about it mm-hmm. is the fact that we're supposed to have gotten past everything in the twenty fourth century. My initial thought was when Picard said, "Yeah, I've had to tell people that people died before, but." Never suicide. Yeah. Because that's how good things are in the 24th century, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and maybe that is actually sticking with sort of the Gene Roddenberry uh, idea that things are going to be so great that nobody would do that. But here's the problem. We all know about people for whom things seemed great who still took their own lives. Mm-hmm. 
And and the thing is, I mean, if you want to do a 24th century show where nobody ever kills themselves, mm -hmm. that's great. If you're going to do a show, though, where all of a sudden somebody has killed themselves, maybe take that a bit more seriously because you've got millions of people watching, some of whom may be thinking along the same lines. Yeah. And it's not their job to be it's not their job to be a PSA. It is not their job to keep everyone alive. But to start with something so heavy and then veer off into, oh, it's actually a murder mystery, and then to veer even further to, oh, and it actually didn't even happen. Yeah. Then it's like, I, I don't know what I want back, <laughs> but I want something back. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, that, that was, uh, that, it bothered me. Yeah. And I, and I felt like we needed to get that out of the way right up front here in, in our discussion. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we, we had this other thread about jealousy and, and heartbreak leading to a crime of passion. Okay, I it, it felt a little soap opera-ish yeah. for Star Trek. Um, but then we have this thread about workplace romance. Um, and and there there is a little bit of a cop-out because part of that was in Deanna's head. Mm -hmm. But it's not totally a cop-out since there is some real-world impact from it, some real-world portion of that. Um what I find interesting is the, the continued casual approach that NextGen has toward ro workplace romances in the future in the first place. So you mentioned the scene in 10 Forward, Riker's all over some other woman who we will never see again. Mm -hmm. I'm just guessing. Um, and even if there is a hint that he knows what Worf is talking about, he doesn't care. Yeah, here's the problem. I think you're probably right about all of that, except... Didn't that happen? Oh, no, that did happen. You're right. That happened mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. That That's in real time. Yeah. Before we, before we tripped into dream time. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Okay. That, uh, yes. That is, that is an interesting thing. It is weird, actually, especially, especially <laughs> in this day and age, as you and I record some 20 something years after this episode was uh, first recorded. Mm -hmm. I would like to think that workplace romances can happen. Um, that's fine. At the mm -hmm. same time, he is, um, he's like second in command on the ship. Yeah. Should he actually, should he be dating somebody over whom he has power? And that's not even a, I'd say the same thing if the second in command was a woman and she was dating a guy. Yeah, sure. Now we don't know anything about, oh, and actually, no, he did name her as, um, ensign, lieutenant, whatever. Oh, he, he did. Yeah, he did, yeah. She did give her rank, so she's not a she's not she's a civilian. Not a yeah, yeah. She's not hanging out with Ben. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. They're, yeah. They're 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 using different. Uh, yeah, different. Uh, wow. Yeah, hmm. yeah. But but it, it is. I it, you know everybody seems to be cool with everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I. <laughs> Great, you know. It, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. If yeah. this is the the utopian vision of Star Trek's future, then great. I'm I'm cool with that. Maybe we're all like level headed and cool enough that you know, second in command or even the captain of the ship can be like, uh, "Hey, you want to go out sometime?" No, okay, we're still fine. Maybe that's the 24th century, and it's like totally cool. Maybe there is no power play there. Yeah. Um, given today's environment as we record, yeah, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Or or even just, uh, hey, mind if I date your ex-girlfriend? Uh, you know, ex-girlfriend, sometimes girlfriend, we sometimes make out, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 But, except they had talked about it before, so... It was interesting to see that actually, uh, to see that, except it didn't actually come back around in this episode. 
I mean, there was maybe uh, yeah, uh, that that part kills me, but yeah, not kills me because that's a horrible thing to say in this episode. Yep, <sighs> annoys me. Let's say yeah, and I guess the only kind of. You know, you're talking about how this turns into a ghost story. And, um, yeah, it, it seems like uh, either Brannon or Renee were, were reading their ghost lore because that's kind of the, the, the psychic residue is sort of the, the thing that you hear about with, with uh, uh, just justifying why something happened in this space and why people feel it again in that space. But now we just sort of transplant that to the 24th century yeah, inside the nacelle of a uh, super futuristic starship remind me aren't we less than four weeks out from sub rosa yeah oh man uh, we are man yeah. alive really all right i'm I'm worried that cat's paw 2 is coming up before the end of season seven <laughs> don't say it don't say it with an eight-year-old mystery solved that no one actually knew was a mystery it is time to see what we see in eye of the beholder keeping with the detective story nature uh, that I of the Beholder ended up taking. Uh, let me just say, I'm asking the questions here, mister. So serious, Ken. I know, yeah. I know. I got a little, yeah. I got a little. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being bad cop. Okay. Or a tough cop, maybe. Yeah. You know, but since I'm the one asking the questions, I'm the one asking the questions. Uh, those questions, of course, being, uh, this is the part where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode and try to figure out whether the whole thing holds up. So the questions I'm asking are, what are the messages? What are the morals? What are the meanings? Let's start with the last one first. Uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, no. I mean, look, so here's the thing. There's some good character stuff. And, and again, it's well produced because, look, we're seven seasons into a show uh it should be well produced by now and it is um <laughs> but at the end of the day the problem is i i'm asking myself what is the point of this episode so i mentioned before you have all these threads you you have a murder suicide mystery plot uh you've got this kind of psychic ghost story you've got the relationship plot with deanna and you've got some more mind bleepery mm -hmm. and take all those things add them up together and i'm not convinced that you actually have an episode in the end. Remember how, well, I don't have to ask you if you remember because you brought it up already. And, and, and I wrote this note to myself well before you and I got on this podcast together to, to discuss our notes. And you and I had the same thing, which is, I think back to the first couple of seasons of Next Gen and you, you have it trying to deal with some heavy topics like drugs, but then sometimes those fell flat and came across as overly simplistic. Um, and I felt that way about this episode when we started to really think about Quan's death. Uh, but then that was a non-starter because it wasn't really him in his right mind when he did it. And it wasn't really about that. It wasn't sto a, a story we got to see played out to its fruition. Um, mm -hmm. I also, like I said before, I had problems with Calloway's reaction to Quan's death. And it's nothing about the actor. But... Um, Nobody ever really breaks down and has a genuine emotional reaction on Star Trek when somebody dies ever, except for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> but that that was right. earned with, you know, nearly 20 years of investment in that character. So they're feeling it on screen just like we're feeling it in the audience. Um, and, and that's why that scene still holds up. And this we're going to forget, you know. 
a, a few weeks from now, probably. A few weeks from now, we'll be on an episode and I'll go, remember that thing where it was a ghost story, but it was a suicide, but we don't remember the guy, but nobody ever did anything about it. Yeah, and, and that's, that's kind of the problem here. Um, so at the end of the day, what's the episode? Well, it's this sort of soap opera, uh, a, a love triangle gone bad, but that was the ghost story. So then we're left with a, a Deanna joke at the end. And I believe somebody uh, who, who wrote in about this episode said that I half expected that to end with a freeze frame and a slap on the back. Yeah. I didn't even mention that. But yes, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. That's all you it, need to know. <laughs> is, is that your summation about uh, whether it holds up or not? No, it was a terrible yeah. joke at the end. I yes. mean, yeah, yes. there's not even a, I mean, because there might have actually been a moment. Look, because we... Uh, Okay, if the question is, does the episode hold up? The answer is no. This is like an episode of Medium or like an episode of um, uh, not Pet Cemetery. What was the other one? The Dead Zone. Hmm. Right, where they like could touch something and they could know like how somebody was going to die, or they could touch something and they could you know find out something about you know something psychically or whatever. I didn't actually watch Medium. I did watch The Dead Zone, but it's been a few years. Uh, the TV series that is with uh, Anthony Michael Hall, not the guy who was on the first episode of Discovery. By the way, fun fact. No, but, but you would think you would, <laughs> you think, would yeah. indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a suicide that's actually not a suicide. We have an after-school special treatment of the topic of suicide. That we have a murder mystery that's not really a mystery and that we shouldn't even know about. And we have, you know, uh, a romance that was hinted at a few episodes that's finally getting going, except, whoops, no, it isn't, because all that happens in her head. And we don't mm -hmm. even know if what's happening in her head is something that she's actually thinking about and something that she actually wants. Or is this just the hallucination giving her pieces of her life that look like the pieces of Pierce's life so that she can sort of make sense of the whole thing, right? Yeah. Meanwhile, Riker should still be pretty screwed up by the fact that he was unable to save a member of his crew. So mm -hmm. all of this was done to satisfy somebody's desire to tell a ghost story again. And we just had one like four or five weeks ago. And, yeah. you know, they're not. <sighs> ah, that's that's my <laughs> summation. Ah, that's my summation. Because okay. I know okay. I haven't brought it up in a while because we've always known that TNG was going to end. We're very close to the end now of TNG. Yeah. And this was this was a waste of 48 minutes. I mean, and I wish it hadn't been because the whole, you know, Quan's suicide could have been a pivotal episode of Star Trek. Uh, you were talking about heavy, uh, heavy topics that we've hit earlier. Mm. Um, Half a Life. Yeah, absolutely. Half a Life was an amazing treatment of, of, of the whole idea of death and dying, especially because he was there to discuss it before he died. Yeah. Um, just, you know, and, and so maybe you think, oh, well, they've already done it then. Who cares? Except this was a very different thing. And it just falls. Uh, it just falls incredibly flat, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And and like I said, it, it, at the end, I just feel like, okay, what what's the point? Are we really just marking time here? Um, so, so then I look for a message, and I don't really know that I'm finding one. There are a few little tiny ones, I think. I mean, suicide is bad, and it's weird to say that that's going to be a tiny message in this episode. But it is a tiny message in this episode, which is one of the big problems of the episode. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Uh, also... Yeah. Record keeping in the 24th century is just the worst <laughs> because they should yeah. have known that they had a somewhat telepathic guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, building the ship. I mean, not not because like, oh, got to root them out or anything like that. But like his grandmother was from Beta Z. That means he's going to be at least a little bit telepathic. 
probably. Yeah. But it took like a bunch of like looking back into it to find that out. So record keeping in the 24th century, granted, we didn't have a world war. I understand. Which I'm given to understand is probably worse than the world wars we've had so far. Um, there was one other, and this is like a, like a minor throwaway thing. Don't jump to conclusions. They all decide that it's Quan whose experience Deanna is having, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't have helped much to find out that it was just some other guy, which is what it ended up being. But they jump immediately to, well, we know it was Quan. And actually, they don't know that it's Quan. And yeah, that gets us, I guess, into Act 4. And then we find out, oh, no, it turns out we were wrong about that. It's like, yeah. And then you get to the end, and you find out, oh, we were wrong about everything. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my summary. Yeah, look, <laughs> Again. It's, it, it, exactly. I... I I thought that this was leading to something important and, and I feel like I was robbed of that. So I, I didn't even, yeah, you're, you're the pulling out that message about suicide is bad. Absolutely. And, and, and I wish that this had been an episode that actually treated that with some, some sincerity, some depth, Yeah. but it, it, it feels like it's completely lacking that. So it, it wasn't even anything that I wrote down, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> Yeah, well, you should yeah. write that down, John. Suicide is bad. Well, sure. Yes, and I agree with you there. I All right, good, there. good, good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's the this episode feels like a, a, a dropped ball, and um, that's really unfortunate. Um, I would say that those messages hold up, even if the episode doesn't hold up. The uh, things that you found certainly do. Yeah, but yeah, go back and watch Half a Life. I mean, seriously. Yeah. And that's a Waxana episode. And still I'm saying, watch Half a Life. I mean, that's actually, that is probably a fairly important episode mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in Star Trek. We're going to actually, we're going to have to do that list pretty soon, aren't we? We are. What are the, like, what are the big, oh man, yep. that's just going to, wow. Yep. You know what I need to do before that though? What's that? I need to say that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Of course, Roddenberry's into a ton of stuff. Uh, they're they're really big in the podcast game. I don't know if you know that, John, but they are. No, no, I wasn't yeah. aware. Oh, sure. You got your Women at Warp over there. You got your Priority One. You got your Mission Log Live. And, of course, you got your Mission Log. And uh, and more shows a-coming. So podcasts.roddenberry.com would be the place to find out about those. Podcasts.roddenberry.com. If you want to help support this show specifically, patreon.com slash mission log is the place to find out how... For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Genesis. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Star Trek 2 jokes? 70s and 80s music references? I wonder which we will get more from Genesis and transmission.